Well, this morning, as we continue in our relationship series, um, we're going to be talking about one of the most important relationships in many of our lives, and that is marriage. And so we have some people coming up who are going to have some fun this morning <laughs> as uh, they play the newlywed game together. Um, and here's the thing, as they're coming up, marriage is an important relationship, hopefully if you're married in your life. But whether you're married or not, marriage is an important relationship Musical because... Chairs. Yeah, sit with your spouse. <laughs> sit with your spouse. Um, but whether you're married or not, marriage is an important relationship because if you ever hope to be married or one day remarry, it's important to think about. If you have friends who are married, it's important to understand and think about God's ideal for marriage so that you can support them. And if you have kids, whether you're a single parent or married... You're passing on a vision and an ideal of marriage to them, whether you realize it or not. And so because it's so important, we're going to talk about it this morning. And we thought this would be fun to have um, some people from our church up here so we can evaluate the state of marriage in our church at Harvest Point. So we're going to be doing that together this morning. All right. So have you seen the newlywed game? So you're familiar with this. We, before church started, we got together I asked uh, Jean and Joyce, Jean and Joyce, wave, uh, some questions. They're cousins. <laughs> Never met before today, actually. Um, and uh, Jonathan got with Johnny and Jeff. And uh, let's see, Joyce and Jeff, how long have y'all been married? 30 years in 30 October. years. Wow. All right. All right. And Jean and Johnny, how long have y'all been married? 20, but it feels like 30. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to see after 20 and 30 years of marriage how really in sync you are as a couple. Mm. So uh, we're going to ask you a question, and um, we're going to ask either the husbands or the wives to hold up their answers first, and then we're going to see if your answers match. Yeah, and then the winner gets a prize at the end of this. So... Um, the last prize I got from Jonathan was a Slim Jim. <laughs> it might be a, a certificate for marriage counseling. We're going to get you hooked up at Eagles Landing Counseling Center. You know, he's he's drumming up a business for Emily. Mm -hmm. That's right. So um, the first question we thought would be an easy one. And, and the question is this. Who said, I love you first? And so, men, what did y'all say? Let, let's see your answers. of who, who said, I love you first? Okay, Johnny and Jeff both said I did. Okay, now Joyce says that she said I love you first. Gene, let's see if it... Oh, all right, we got, all right. got a match, one to zero. One for Gene and Johnny. So tell, Joyce, tell us about what, what's your memory of this, this situation. I'm, I'm the lover of this group. You're the lover of this group, okay. Probably right. Okay, okay, you know what, 30 years, that's a long credit. time ago. It's a long time. That is a long time ago, yeah, so... All right, well, maybe you'll do better with this one. So, <clears throat> finish this sentence. I wish my husband would pay as much attention to me as he does blank. So, ladies, what did you say? Blue the dog. The dog? His dog. Wow. Blue the do they both said they're dogs. I'm happy to know this is a pattern in more than just our family. <laughs> and, and Jeff said, oh, blue, his dog. Johnny said his work. Mm. Uh, all right, so now we're all tied up at least. Okay, tied up one to one, one to one here. Emily, what would you say the answer for that question for me was? I wish my husband would pay as much attention to me as he does. Oh, uh, his phone. Oh. Uh, <laughs> look, I don't even have, 
I don't even have it with am me I right now. Am I alone in that, ladies? I didn't think so. That's how selfless I am. I don't even have it with me on stage right now. Um, okay. Man, this is a good one. And, and you know what, audience? You can think of your own answer in your mind if you, if you know the people up here on stage. But I asked the men this. When going out in public, what are two things your wife cannot be seen without? If y'all know Gene and Joyce, you can think of your own answers. They both put the exact same answer. Makeup and hairdo or hair in place. Hair in place. Okay, Gene put makeup and hair fixed. That's what you put. Hair done and makeup. Hair done and makeup. All right. Hey. If y'all know them, would you have guessed that? Yes. Yes. You would have guessed that. All right. So still tied. So let's try this one. Finish this sentence. My husband is a tough man. But when it comes to blank, he melts. Hmm. All right. So let's see, ladies. What did you write for this one? His daughters, his girls. His daughters, oh, okay. Daughter. his daughter. <laughs> Emotional stuff. And he put kids. And, and dog. his dog. And his dog. <laughs> hmm. Okay. So this is clearly they get a point. Should they get a point for this? He, yeah. She put Mandy, he put emotional stuff. No, Clap if no, you think no, they should no, get a point. No. Nah. Okay, no, no point on that one. No point on that one. Okay, so two to one here. Two to one. And now this is actually the last question we're going to do. Um, although we could do, you know, a question from the audience. That might get kind of dangerous though. But um, the last question. Men, who is your wife's celebrity crush? Who is your wife's celebrity crush? Now, the men had a hard time with this one, to be honest. Actually, Johnny did. <laughs> Jeff did not. Okay, Jeff, so who did you put? She's got pictures up everywhere. Kevin Costner. I do like him. Oh. Kevin Costner. Like him. Johnny, what did you put? You had trouble with this one. Andy Griffith. Andy Griffith. She likes the older men, the traditional older men, yeah. you know? Okay, Jean, what would you put? Blake, Blake Shelton. Shelton. Oh, and uh, what'd you put, Joyce? Pierce Brosnan. Pierce Brosnan. Wow. Okay, so it's two, two to, to one. one. Y'all have two. Y'all have one. Let's do one final question. Audience, what's a good question that y'all, y'all would want to ask them? Somebody shout out a good one. Nah, that, oh. that one's obvious. Anybody else have one? Okay, okay. First date. Let's see. Well, I don't, we don't even have the markers up here, so no. we can't really do it. Let's just hear about the first date. Where Jeff, you narrate your first date. Where was it, and why did you ask her out? Uh, I think we went egg Mexican. She was available on a Friday night. Is that what I'm hearing? Let's see. Okay. Johnny, and I went let, to the door. Johnny, let's see. What, what you, what, Johnny, what do you say? What was y'all's first date? He remembers it like it was yesterday. But I really wanted a date. She kind of turned it into one. We went to the movies. Some other people were supposed to come. They didn't show up. Convenient. I said, hey, we'll go anyway. We're watching the movie. I'm biting my nails. It's real nervous. And... And as I was doing this, she reached up and grabbed my hand. Oh, Aww. smooth. And she's never let it go. Oh. I think he almost gets a point for that one. We are in church. 
Wow, wow. Any other comments y'all want to make about your relationships or your marriage while you're up here and you have the chance to defend yourselves? Well, hey. Pick your fights. Pick your fights. That's good. Jean, you have one final piece of marriage wisdom before we talk about marriage together? Laugh. Just laugh. Laugh. All right. That is a good and wisdom. Respect. That's good wisdom. Respect. Well, let's give them a round of applause for coming up here. Um, we have a gift for y'all. Gift for y'all. It's at the Welcome Center. It's a free Bible for each of you. So we would love for y'all to have a free Bible. Love for y'all to have a free Bible here at Harvest Point um, as we honor y'all. But um, thank y'all. And, um, you know, as you saw up here, I, I love saying, you know, it's important to laugh because that is a very important and a foundational aspect of marriage. And, I mean, as you can see from this, you know, marriage can be fun. It can be life-giving. It can be joy-filled. It can powerfully change your life for the good. Marriage is one of the most significant relationships in your life if you're married. But here's the thing. It is very powerful and it's very significant. And it can also shape your life for the negative. It can also do a lot of harm because it's a very powerful relationship. And if you've been alive and you've observed many marriages at all, you know that there are marriages that are thriving and there are marriages that are, that are just barely surviving. Um, there are marriages that are beautiful and there are marriages that are very painful. There are a lot of different types of marriages, and if you've lived more than a decade, you've seen, even in our culture and our world, how marriages have, have changed and have shifted over the last number of years. And when you look back over the last 50 years, you see really how much marriage has shifted. Because I don't know how many of y'all were watching the newlywed game in the 1960s. Anybody watching it when it was coming out in the early days? Yeah. Okay, so think about the 1960s until now. Things are very different when it comes to marriage, right? I mean, in the 1960s, on average, 72% of American adults were married. Today, things have shifted. Only 50% of American adults are married today. In the 1960s, it was basically unheard of for people to live together before marriage. Today, almost half of couples cohabitate before they get married. In the 1960s, the average age for marriage was 20 for a woman and 22 for a man. Who here got married at under 22? 22 or under? All right, all right, congratulations, y'all. Y'all are still rocking it. Today, the average age for marriage is 27 for a woman, 29 for a man. And so Emily and I are, are basically average because we got married when she was 28, 27. And I, is that right? 27. <laughs> 27, I was 30. I'm trying to do the calculations here. It's her birthday Tuesday, so it's kind of complicated right now. Um, oh, see, I love you. I love you. Um, and so things have shifted when it comes to that. And, and as you know, I mean, I don't have to go into all the statistics, but since the 1960s, the divorce rate has obviously shifted as well. It has rapidly increased, although it peaked in the 80s and the 90s. And since 2000, it's actually been on the decline. Things have shifted a lot when it comes to marriage, how it's defined, how it's perceived, how it's lived out. And this morning, the shift that I want to talk with you about and that I'm most concerned about isn't actually the shift in our culture regarding marriage or in our world. The shift that I'm most concerned about this morning is a shift that I want you to make in your understanding of marriage, whether you're married or not. And if you are married, the shift I want you to make isn't 
a shift in, in other people's marriages, but it's a shift in your marriage. And so this morning as we look at marriage, I don't want to share with you based largely upon my personal experience because I don't have that much personal experience actually, just un- over a year now. But instead, I want to share with you based upon the Bible, because the Bible, if you look at it, actually begins with a wedding at the very beginning in Genesis. And then at the end, we also have this image of a wedding as well between Christ and his church. And when we look at marriage, Tim Keller in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, which is a great resource if you're looking for one, for reading more about marriage. Tim Keller says this quite simply. He says, marriage is God's idea. And so if marriage is God's idea, then it would make sense for us to go to God's word and to see what God thinks about marriage and how God calls us to live it out. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to be largely in Genesis chapter 2, looking at the very first marriage that we see in creation. And if you've been with us last number of weeks, you know that we've been in Genesis um, looking at different passages. And a few weeks ago, we talked about how in Genesis chapter 1, we find something, and that is that each of us is uniquely created in the image of God. That is the most foundational truth about us. Whether we're married, single, widowed, whatever your marriage status is, you are uniquely created in the image of God. Last week, we looked at Genesis chapter 2 about how we're all created for community. Community with one another and community with God. And this week, we're continuing in Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to be looking, beginning right after God created man. And this is what we find starting in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And I'm going to pause right here because a lot of times, even when we, we started this very simple verse, helper fit for him, right? We hear the word helper, and we're bringing all of our cultural baggage onto that word. And, and we're reading helper as, okay, the woman is below the man. She's just supposed to serve the man and do whatever he says because the reality is in a lot of cultures, including our own, women are often subjugated and put below men. But here in the original Hebrew, the word helper isn't meant to be somebody who's below somebody else. It's actually meant to be somebody who comes along of somebody else. Here, helper, the same word is used elsewhere in the Bible to describe God and his role. And so helper here is someone who comes alongside of somebody like an ally in times of war. This is someone who's coming along, a helper fit for him. And then we read this in 19. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air. And he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every beast of the field. But for the man, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, he he exclaims, he sings out, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife and they become one flesh. 
And here in this creation account, this is the verse that I'm really going to focus on this morning. Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother, cleaves to his wife, and they become one flesh. This is the scripture passage that's actually inscribed on the inside of my wedding ring. This is the verse of scripture that when Jesus is asked about marriage that he repeats in the New Testament when he's teaching on marriage. And this is also a verse that's found in Paul's letter to the Ephesians when he is expounding upon marriage as well. This verse gives us a pattern and a picture for God's ideal of marriage. And so when we look at this verse, you kind of see a few big movements in the verse, right? And the first thing you see is this word, leaves. And this is an important and an essential aspect of marriage. A man leaves his father and mother, and a woman does the same. She leaves her father and mother, and they create a new family together. And maybe at your wedding ceremony, it was set up like this as a physical illustration of this image, right? The man in the ceremony is typically standing up front by himself. And then the woman comes up front traditionally with her father, a representative of her family, and then they leave her behind, and then the couple is standing by themselves having left their family members as they're starting a new family together. And now this is an aspect of marriage we don't often think about, but this can be hard for the families. And it can also be hard for the groom and for the bride as they leave those families behind and they create a new one together. But as one writer says this, he says, This is essential because if no real leaving takes place, the marriage will be in trouble. If the couple has no chance to start their own life together, separate from their families, there is great danger that there will be interference from family members in the future. Amen for interference from family members? Anybody? And that's the first thing we see is that they must leave their father and mother so that they can create something new. And then we see this, this second aspect, and that is they cleave. And now I'm using an older translation of the Bible here, the Revised Standard Version, because I like the word cleave here. I like this old English word. And I'm a preacher. I like things that rhyme and things that alliterate. So leave and cleave, right? It can help you remember it. And cleaving is this word that means coming together. In the New International Version and others, it's translated, they become united to one another. They are bound together. In the original Hebrew, the word has this idea to stick to one another, to paste, almost like you've glued two pieces of paper together. When you try to pull two pieces of paper together that have been glued together, what, what happens? They both get torn, right? We have this image of cleaving, and, and this word is elsewhere used in the Old Testament. When people are cleaving, they're making covenants, binding promises between them and God. And so we have this idea of covenant here as the couple cleaves together and they promise to be closer to each other than anyone else in the world and they promise to be closer to each other than anything else in the world. There's this action of leaving, then there's cleaving, and then we see that the two become one flesh. And this, yes, is describing the physical aspect of marriage, but it's also describing beyond that. Because in marriage, the two become one, not only physically, but also emotionally. 
The two become one with their hopes and with their dreams. With the hard times in life. With their joys and the great times in life. The two are to become one in body, soul, and spirit. The two become one. And now I just want to do a little aside here because look, I I was single most of my life. And so when we think about two becoming one, sometimes we can have this image and our culture perpetuates this, that, that if you're single, you're half waiting for your other half to be made whole. But we don't find that idea anywhere in the Bible. Here, this is two whole people coming together to create something wholly new. Something completely new together. The two becoming one. And then Paul, as he's reflecting on this verse later in Ephesians chapter 5, he recites this verse, and he says that as a couple leaves, cleaves, and becomes one, something mysterious happens. And if you're married, you know there's a lot of mysterious things in marriage. A lot of stuff you can't explain or figure out. But Paul says something mysterious is happening. Because as a couple does these things and they love each other in this way, they're actually being a representation. They're reflecting Christ's covenant love that he has for the church to the world. And that's kind of a deep thought. That's a very kind of mysterious thought. But here Paul's saying, look, Jesus Christ, he left his Father in heaven because he loves us. And he came into this world. Jesus Christ, he wants to be united with us. He wants to become one with us in body, soul, and spirit. Jesus, because of his great love for us, has a covenant love for us. And Paul says, that's the kind of love you should have for your spouse. When you're loving your spouse with this kind of covenant love, when you're living out God's ideal for marriage, what you're doing is your marriage becomes a picture of the gospel, a picture of the good news for the world around you, the world that desperately needs it. And I think we can all agree that the world needs the good news. And speaking of the world, a few weeks back when I talked about loving, not loving, when I talked about watching The Bachelorette for the entire season, a lot of y'all booed me and you got mad and you hissed. But I'll just say this, a lot of people came up to me after the service and said, you know what, Jonathan, I wasn't booing you, I actually watched the show too. And a lot of you messaged me on Facebook during the finale telling me whether you agreed with who Becca chose for her future mate. And Emily and I disagree on whether she chose the right person, but they're not married yet, so it's okay. We'll see. Maybe they won't get married in the end. But whether you watch The Bachelorette, The Bachelor, The Proposal, Modern Family, or any of those things, I think we can all agree that the picture of marriage in our culture is very different than the picture of marriage and the pattern of marriage that we see throughout the Bible. They're very different things. And they're different in many ways. In one aspect, they're different because our culture tends to idolize marriage. And the church has been guilty of this too, right? Saying that it is the ultimate goal and if you're not married, then then you're just missing out on something. But here's the thing. The people who are writing this, Jesus, who quotes this, Paul, who quotes this, guess what? They never married. And Paul says, hey, for a, a lot of people, it's better if you don't marry. And and so the culture and even the church, we've been guilty of idolizing marriage, putting it as the greatest good. But then the culture is also guilty of devaluing marriage, of saying that it's not really that important. It's just a piece of paper, right? It doesn't matter. And so skipping out on it altogether, or when people are married, not really putting much of a focus on it or thinking it's that significant in their lives. 
But I think one of the biggest areas where this vision that we find in Genesis of marriage and the vision of marriage that we find in our culture, where, where, they, where they differ, is in the type of relationship that we find in marriage. Because in our culture, more and more marriages are based on what I've heard called a relationship of consumerism. They're based on a consumer relationship. And now in a consumer relationship, the focus is all on the individual. And it's all on their needs, their wants, their desire, and their happiness on their terms. And so in a marriage, there's a very loose commitment. And that commitment can change based upon how one person is feeling and how they're perceiving that things are going. One way to think about this is to think about the person who cuts your hair. Okay? You got that person in mind? You keep going to this person as long as they're doing a good job and as long as they're doing it at the pay rate you want, right? And what happens when they mess up your hair? You change. You just go find another hairdresser or barber or whatever. You just get some new clippers if the old clippers don't work anymore. And it's the same thing. If the price changes, guess what? You say, you know what? I I didn't know there was going to be a price change. I wasn't expecting that, so I'm going to go somewhere else. A lot of times... That's how marriage is treated in our culture, as a consumer-driven relationship where the focus is on me, my wants, and my desires. And this is why so many reality TV stars get divorced, right? Because the person is convenient for the photo ops and for the TV show and for the advertisement deals, but once the camera is gone, what happens? The person isn't needed anymore. They're viewed as disposable. That's the consumer view of marriage. And I want you to think about how different that is than the view of marriage we see here in Genesis and the view of marriage that Paul is talking about, what we might call a covenant view of marriage, where people are making lifelong promises before God and before one another to always seek out the good of the other. The focus isn't on the individual. The focus is instead on the couple and what God wants to do in them And through them, and many of you probably made some covenant promises at your wedding, right? I mean, Emily and I, we had a pretty traditional wedding, and so we had some traditional vows. When I'm doing marriages, I I typically encourage people to do the traditional vows. They've lasted the test of time. But Maybe you wrote your own vows. Maybe you had some vows like this. Vows like, will you love, comfort, and honor your spouse in sickness and in health? And forsaking all others, be faithful as long as you both shall live. Anybody answer that question on their wedding day? In the name of God, will you take this person to be your spouse? To have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until you are parted by death. Many of us, when we were married, made these promises. And now I'm, I, I want to give a word of grace for people who've been in relationships where, where a spouse or somehow these covenant promises were broken. Um, we'll talk about that in a future sermon. I, I don't want to leave you out or feel like I'm passing over you this morning. But I want you to feel God's grace and God's mercy. But for a lot of us, we made these covenant promises. We're still in these relationships. But it's easy over time to kind of put all of this stuff away and to forget that we promise to put the other person 
ahead of ourselves. We promise to commit to them for our lives before God and before other people. And over time, if we're not careful, things just begin to shift ever so slowly over time in our marriage. And this consumer view of marriage that has infiltrated our culture, it slowly starts to infiltrate our community. And even our church as well. And so what we have to have is a shift. A shift in the way that we understand and the way we view marriage. And a shift, if you're married, in the way that you live out your marriage. A shift from viewing it as something consumer-driven to something that is covenant-driven. And to help you with that shift, if you're married, I just want to give you a few small ways this morning that you can begin making that shift. And one of the ways you can begin making that shift is by simply changing the questions that you ask yourself. And if you're not married and you're looking for a spouse, these might be helpful as well to change the questions that you're asking while you're dating. And so I want to encourage you to to make these shifts in your mind. Instead of asking, what does this person offer me? Ask, what can I offer this person? Instead of asking, how can this person make my life better and my life easier? Ask, how can I make this person's life better? How can I make this person's life easier? Instead of asking them, hey, what are they doing to make this relationship work? Ask yourself, what am I doing to make this relationship work? Change the questions you're asking yourself. But then also, another small way you can make a shift in your marriage is to change the questions that you're asking your spouse. And to shift from asking, what are you doing to make this marriage work? To asking, how can we invite Jesus to begin To work in our marriage. To shift from asking how can you serve me to how can we serve each other. To shift from asking why are you holding back to begin asking how can we both go all in. These are small shifts. These are small shifts but things that change in marriage often begin small. And then the final thing that's kind of small I would encourage you to do is to simply think back upon promises you made at your wedding, if you made promises, vows, and to begin to put those into practice, to begin living them out. Because if you're like me, maybe you had very formal vows and maybe they're framed somewhere in your house. Maybe you wrote your own and you stuffed them in a drawer somewhere. Maybe your wedding was just a blur to you and you don't remember anything about that day. Kind of like Jeff didn't remember anything about that first date, right? (laughs) Maybe it's just all a blur. It's just pure euphoria, right? That day was so awesome. Maybe you got married at the courthouse and at the time, you know what? God wasn't, wasn't really even in the picture for you. But at some point in your relationship, you have made promises to one another. I would encourage you to begin living out those promises because God wants us to show that kind of covenant love that he has for the church to our spouse. God wants you to love your spouse. And so think about today, not tomorrow, not next week, not on their birthday. Think about today, how can I love my spouse in a small way or a big way? God wants you to be faithful to your spouse. That means putting your spouse above all other people, but it also means putting your spouse above your work, 
Giving your spouse your best time, your best energy. God wants you to cherish your spouse. And we all feel cherished in different ways. And so maybe on the car ride home today, you can simply ask them, hey, how could I cherish you in this season of life? And I know all these things seem very, very small. But the biggest change you'll see in your marriage is built upon all of these kinds of small things. And I believe that God wants to use your marriage. God wants to use your marriage in your family, in your friends. God wants to use your marriage for good. And when you begin making these kinds of shifts, you'll begin to see new things at work. But I believe that God also wants you to make these changes because as you make shifts in your marriage... As you begin putting these things into practice, you're going to begin pointing other people to Jesus. That's what Paul says. Through your love for your spouse, you're pointing other people to Jesus' love for us. Through your faithfulness to your spouse, you're pointing other people to Jesus' faithfulness to the church. Through your cherishing of your spouse, you're letting other people know in a mysterious way, Paul says, that Christ is cherishes us the church and you might never see the impact your marriage will have on other people but it's on display and God wants to use it for his good and for his glory let's pray God we come before you this morning all in many different places God, some of us, when we think about our marriages, we're we're filled with joy and thanksgiving. And we pray that you would make us stronger. God, others of us, when we think about our marriages, we feel like they're surviving. And we pray that you would pour out your grace to help us move from that place of surviving to a place of thriving. God, when some of us here think about marriage, we think of brokenness. In our own lives, in our family's lives, in our friends' lives. And God, we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit of healing and your spirit of grace upon people who are feeling that right now. God, we know that when when some people are in this room or thinking about marriage, that they're very hopeful. And we pray that you would fulfill their hopes. God, we're, we're all in a different place. But we pray this morning that you would meet us with your love right where we are. God, that you would strengthen us by your grace. God, strengthen us in our own marriages. Strengthen us so that we can support other people's marriages. God, strengthen the marriages in this church so that we, through our life together, can point other people to your son, Jesus Christ. And the good news, that no matter what happens in this world, he will never leave nor forsake us. That he loves us with an unconditional and an unending love. And God, maybe we be filled with that kind of love this morning. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.